surround yourself with people who are going to challenge what you're what you're saying in, in a positive way, but also that you can learn from. Because you know, before I even moved to Austin, I didn't have a wide network of people that I could I could leverage from a connections, from a network, from a, from just an intelligence standpoint. Nor did I have people who would challenge my ideals as mm. and not, not in a bad way, just like, hey, why do you think this? Um, or why do you think this product is important? And I think the last you know, couple of years, specifically, especially over COVID, I've tried really hard to bring in just a vast amount of people that I trust and or that have backgrounds that I can learn from and just continually educate myself, but also you know, can give me feedback. everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the uh, founder and uh, CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And if you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com. We're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Justin Eulestad, if I say say the last name right, and as a quick introduction to Justin, so uh, went to high school and in his words was kind of a, a wannabe athlete, uh, got hurt, turned to music, went to college, uh, was a music major, and I think did a major in music and in business, and he can correct me where that is, um, and was always interested both kind of on the creative, uh, creative side as well as the logic side of the brain. After undergraduate, went and worked in LA for a distribution company for a while, uh, learned how not to or how not to run a business. Uh, went back after a year or so and got an MBA, and then went into consulting for a while. Uh, worked on a couple startups for others. Also started a business focusing on student athletes, um, and then had to pivot that a bit as COVID hit. And uh, then he'll tell us a little bit about now how that brings him to where he's at today. So, with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Justin. Appreciate you having me, Devin. That was a, that was a great intro. Awesome. Well, I, I gave kind of the 30 second quick run through yeah. of a much longer journey, but now take us back in time a bit back to kind of high school and uh, getting into athletes and how or athletics and that, and then how that, how your journey went from there. Absolutely. So, so as David said that, uh, or as you said, the, the stem of my journey sort of started when I was, you know, I was one of those, you know, short kids that wanted to be a professional athlete, right. I was, mm-hmm. I was five foot two till junior. So I, you know, I didn't really get the, the run up uh, that I that I you know dreamed of as a, as an athlete, and I I, I was in basketball, baseball, football, you know the major sports. Um, got hurt my freshman year, and uh, you know never really continued on in that journey because I just I, did, I didn't didn't fit, and I was always worried about getting hurt again. So um, turned to music uh, as that was you know the other thing that I was really passionate about, and sort of you know delved headfirst into that. Went to Allstate, went to you know solo ensemble contests, and like really you know, worked my way through that, um, you know, getting, getting further into that space and then went to, uh, the University of Iowa and was a music major there. Um, okay. and then, you know, with my background as well, knowing that like, I probably wasn't going to be a professional musician, like that wasn't my end goal. Um, also got a business degree while I was at the University of Iowa. So, so the two opposite ends of the spectrum, as far as a major you can choose, I did. So, you know, I was there for, you know, four and a half years. Um, and so finished out school at the University of Iowa. I loved Iowa. It was a great time. Sometimes I wish I could go back. Uh, and then as you said, I went to, I went to Los Angeles for a year, tried, uh, it was 2011. So, you know, when you, you get a job out of college, you took it at that point. And so, mm. uh, went out to LA, tried it for a year, 
lost money, you know, not for, you know, the company wasn't the right fit. Uh, but, you know, I learned a lot about Hold how on, just one second on that. Yeah. So how did you get a job that you lose money at? Was it one where you invested in or they didn't pay enough or like cost of living? Usually at least your job will pay you. So that was where I wanted to double check on the. Yeah, I made, I made $30,000 in LA in my first year. And right. as anybody who lives in Los Angeles or who, who lives on the West coast would know for California, like that's not necessarily a livable wage. Uh, and I struggle with that a little bit as far as like, okay, I'm working here. It wasn't a lot of career growth. I, you know, I had a savings going out there and I, that dwindled away, you know, you're paying, you know, almost 2000 in rent just, just by yourself. So, um, you know, that was the whole thing. So, uh, but I, I enjoyed my time in LA as far as like a social standpoint, if I could make, you know, gobs of, gobs of money, like I think I would enjoy, you know, having some, some time in LA, but, uh, you know, from a, your first job standpoint. I mean, everybody talks about this dream moving out to Los Angeles and like starting their career and it is a grind. And I appreciate those people that like are willing to put in the time and effort to, to do that grind in Los Angeles. And so, uh, so no, definitely makes sense. And so that's what I was going to say. So you didn't, it wasn't that you lost money in the sense they didn't pay you that it was just right. the amount that they were paying you was such that you weren't able to support yourself or make a living off of it such that in, in essence, you lost money. So yeah, yeah, I did that for a year. And I think you also mentioned a bit when we uh, chatted before the podcast, so you also kind of learned a bit of what not to do or what, how not to run a business or those mm-hmm. type of things, maybe provide a, a bit of an insight as to kind of how that went. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I learned off the, off the hand is like you're obviously in a business, like your customer is the state your customer is always right. But for me, it's always trust your, always treat your customers right. And so there were certain times where I had built relationships with distribu- distributors or customers and, you know, it, it would be more profitable for the company to do it this way. But in my mind, in my Midwest morals, like it was better for my customer relationship and just from a, you know, standard to do it this way. And because the company chose to do it the company beneficial way, like we lost customers and we lost deals because of that. And so, you know, learning of, hey, you know, from a accounting or like an FP&A standpoint, like, hey, let's do business this way or let's set it up this way, as opposed to the way that, you know, we, that company had. And so um, there was a lot of, I mean, it's international company. So there was a lot of things that didn't necessarily translate to the United States as far as culture, as far as uh, regulations, as far as um, additional, like just business acumen. Uh, but I learned a lot and it was a great experience to me of like, hey, if I, I, as someone who wanted to be an entrepreneur, here's how I wouldn't run a business or here's things that I would put in place to uh, fill these holes that I'm seeing in this business right now, which was, you know, making, you know, net revenue, you know, a million, two million a year with their U.S. business. No, definitely makes sense. So, and, you know, it's always interesting. One of the, you know, how, how much customer service and how much, you know, how you interact and treat customers and all that can impact the business. It's one where it has a big impact on it, but oftentimes you don't necessarily think about it or it's one where, Hey, you're more focused on doing the work or, you know, right. figuring it out or making, you know, cost or whatever. And yet the biggest thing the often or people often forget about is taking care of the customer. So that sounds like it was a great lesson to learn early on in the career. So, so now as 100%. you kind of go, as you go through that, you know, and, and do that, and then you said, I think you went back and got an MBA after working for about a year or so with the other company so that you'd have a better kind of business background or acumen as far as, um, is, you know, as far as if you're to be a participate or run a business or otherwise do yep. that, is that about right? Correct. I, my, my business degree in undergrad was in entrepreneurship, right? So it was a lot of case study and market research and those kind of things. And so I, I had missed the, 
at least in my boy, the operational and like the actual function of the company uh, or building a company from an operational standpoint. And so I wanted to go back to grad school one, cause I wanted to leave California and that was, I was, and this, this role. So like one option for me was like, okay, I had an in and a grad school that I had a living situation set up. Like this makes more sense than not to. Um, and so went to grad school to sort of to, to learn about operational efficiencies and setting up a team and how to really launch a business as opposed to launch a product. And so spent two and a half years in South Florida at Florida Atlantic University. Um, I did specialize in entrepreneurship, but more from an operational standup uh, situational and um, learned a lot from them, worked along with the, the athletics department, as well as um, the, the Bachelor of Arts uh, uh, school and, you know, worked as a TA, which was beneficial because I, I got to work with students. I got to help them through their undergraduate journey, which sort of ties into the student athlete company later on. And also just got, you know, the, the training I needed to you know, see the world a little bit differently through more of a operational lens, as opposed to a, here's a product lens. No, definitely makes sense. So now you go back, you get the MBA, kind of get that additional training and education and whatnot. And as you're coming out, kind of now you're looking as to what you want to do or what kind of employment and that and kind of where did you transition or land to from there? Well, after grad school, the, I, I was had no short of jobs that I applied to. Uh, it just my, you know, a repercussion of the timing in which I went and got my grad school, at least in my opinion, I had too much education, not enough experience to like fit in the roles that I was looking to dive into. And so I ended up just consulting for a myriad of companies on the side for, as an independent contractor, just like I couldn't find the right fit of like, hey, I want this level of job or I think I'm valued here, but I didn't want to take an entry level or even some entry levels wouldn't take me because of my education. So I had a couple opportunities that I said no to just based on situationals. One was a job in New York City that, you know, was going to be a very similar set situation to my LA situation where it was like right above the cost of living. Right. And, and there was some people that there's some people that are willing to take that risk. And I, based on where I was situationally, I didn't want to take that on. And I, and the company wasn't the, the exact fit I was looking for. So did consulting for about a year and a half um, and did product launches, worked with nonprofits, uh, worked with, you know, franchisee owners, did a, lot, a myriad of things, um, website development, social, uh, digital advertising, uh, pitch decks, you know, a, a wide range of things that have helped me now uh, later on that um, I, it, was really, it really was an invaluable year and a half. But at some point in time, health insurance is important. So I uh, definitely wanted to, you know, spend the time learning, but also finding the next uh, step in my career, which, which led me to Austin. No, and so, and now, so now you get to Austin and definitely makes sense how you're kind of navigating. And I think along the way, as you graduated, you know, got the MBA, you went and worked for a couple different startups prior to kind of starting your own thing. Is that about right? Correct. So what, you know, what was the experience with those startups as opposed to when you worked at LA and did that business? Did you love working for other startups? Was it a good experience? Did you further gain education as to what, what not to do and kind of what were those startups? So the first startup I worked for was a sports media company here in Austin, like full, full-time work for as far as a W2 employee. And I was I started in there in one role in, in a sales operation standpoint, as far as like a pre-sale and like building out pitch decks and building out strategy of how we're going to, you know, gain revenue through advertising and was able to work my way through the company into new roles, new, new visibility, higher, you know, higher up as far as um, responsibility and um, insight into the business, excuse me. And, you know, by the time I left, you know, my, my partner at the, at the office and, and myself had built out a huge 
value prop um, for the company as far as how they did business and what they used to measure business success, right? So I was able to see, you know, from, you know, a role that is, you know, mid to senior associate all the way to like a senior manager as far as understanding that growth perspective, but also understanding like, hey, once you get to a certain spot uh, within a startup world, you hit a ceiling because there's, there's only so far you can go internally until you, you know, have to make a big jump. And a lot of times in startups like that is people that have been there forever. That is people who are founders who have, you know, a lot of investment in the company and the company's invested a lot in them, as opposed to someone like myself who was just, you know, grinding away, you know, pounding on doors and working my way through. Um, but it was a wonderful experience that I learned, Hey, there are certain things across the business that you can build here. And then you can actually, uh, scale across and hey this affects not only your department or your function but it affects the bottom line across all the fpnas across your business and you can ha- you can bring impact with just your one uh your one initiative or your your one rollout or your one product release and really bring value that is usurped across the company so that was a great experience i you know, I'm still very close with a lot of people. I work there. Like we were in the trenches. That's the thing about startups, right? Like you're in the trenches, you're, you're, you're pushing forward. It's a grind, but like the, the wins are, are your wins. The wins are, uh, are, are a team win. It's, it's a, it's a much more, it's a much more gratifying feeling than, you know, when I was working in LA, it was like, you know, you get a win. It's more of a corporate win and nobody really has like, there's, there's not that celebratory thing. Or there's not like feeling like you accomplished anything. It was just like, Hey, we, we rode the boat forward a little bit. We're still at sea. No, definitely makes sense. And, you know, it's, it's one word, you know, that ceiling, you, you hit it in different forms, unless you're doing your own business, your own startup, mm-hmm. you're always going to hit that ceiling at some point or another in the sense that, you know, it's going to be one where there's only so many or so only so far up you can go or only so much room. And then, you know, then there isn't any more for the room to grow. So kind of as you started to, you know, work for those other startups, get that experience and then, you know, or, realize that you had kind of those glass ceilings how did that trend how did you start to how did that transition to the doing your own business so the big thing for me is it always been is like self uh growth and personal motivation and like actually getting better every day like that's i have that on a poster on my walls like you know hustle you know stay humble hustle hard right and like making sure that you're you're still growing every day and once i like at my first the first start up here in austin i hit that ceiling it just became more of a of monotony. And as far as, hey, I'm doing the same task every day, we're out of build mode. Now we're in maintenance mode. We never really got a chance to go back in build mode. And, you know, we were, we were in, we were in that sort of like hold, you know, hold the course for about a year. Um, and so, you know, after that amount of time, you're just like, well, if I'm in, if I'm here, if I've been here for a year, like what's, what's stopping the next year from being the same, right? And so, you know, I, I moved on to a different startup in a different, a different uh, kind of capacity from an M&A, you know, M&A position. And then, you know, the market changed. So like that got moved around. So, you know, th- there's been a lot of things that I, I as an entrepreneurial mindset in person, um, mm. I like to have control of my situation, whether that's career-wise or, or personal-wise. And I also like to be in charge of my own destiny. And so, you know, certain things over the past two years have pushed me towards, hey, I have these ideas, I have these goals. Um, you know, the, the founding teams that I'm on, like we, we all believe in what we're doing and there's no, there's no time now, like the president specifically with like the, the market change over the past year with, with COVID-19 and sort of the, the re- resurgence of, of consumer buying habits here in the last six months. Um, 
you know, there's no better time than present to like actually give it a shot and try and really take control, you know, take, take the bull by a horn, so to speak, and, and really give it a shot as opposed to, you know, keeping, keeping the, the safe route, I'm going to say, but also um, understanding like your, your mental happiness and sanity is, is super important, specifically in a very remote based working world right now. Um, and I, and I think that's one thing that is definitely in the last six months uh, rung true for me as well as my partners, as far as, Hey, it's important for us to achieve our goals or at least try to achieve our goals as opposed to just sitting on them and, and wishing for them to happen. And I think, you know, for the remote working environment that we're in, that has definitely heightened that, uh, heightened that uh, effort to push forward. No, and that definitely makes sense. Now, circling back just a little bit to when you, you know, kind of transition or looking to, hey, I want to take control. I want to, you know, take the bulls by the horns, do my own thing, capture my own destiny, kind of whatever cliche you want. Um, but, you know, you're saying, okay, I want to do my own thing. Now, as you go out and do that, how did you figure out what that was? Or did you start doing it? As, did you quit your job and just say, hey, I'm going to go full blast at it? Did yep. you start something out as a side hustle? Did you get other partners? Or how did you kind of make the transition? And how did you figure out what you wanted to do? 100%. So we, on that on that, on that note, um, a found, two co-founders and myself started Athletes to Athletes uh, two years ago. Uh, two years ago, actually, this month. And it was it was an idea to help high school student athletes have a better recruiting experience and, and inevitably have a better college experience, which enables them to have a better holistic life experience post-college. Because a lot of uh, the student athletes today, like they're inundated by recruiting information just out the wazoo, as well as, you know, fictitious information presented by recruiters who are paid to entice them to come to schools. And so, you know, providing a, a service that's performed and, and, you, your interactions with former student athletes and former college athletes, like that was, that's sort of the value prop that we, we uh, push forward and all our advisors are former college athletes. And so we started that in 2019 because we saw the writing on the wall of like the recruiting landscape is changing. We want to be part of, you know, the next, you know, wave of empowering high schoolers, right? The, 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 the player empowerment movement as they're talking like in the professionals, like that is also a thing that's we're pushing forward in the high school space. And so we started this in 2019 we had, uh, you know, big time goals for 2020, uh, starting in January, February of last year, uh, with the goal of, you know, some of us, some of the founders going full time on this, and then COVID happened and everything stopped. And so at that moment, we're all like, okay, we're gonna, you know, stand pat, keep our day jobs, uh, because nobody's, there's no sports happening for six months, twelve months, and so we we pushed forward through that, and then, you know, just recently. Uh, I, I have moved, I've made the decision to move on to this full time. So like jumping off that cliff. Uh, so, you know, taking the entrepreneurial step and then another founder is coming on full time here in the next couple months, uh, which is really exciting. And, um, but, but I would, I would say like the, the timing of it was both beneficial, but also like tumultuous as far as we wanted to push hard on this, you know, last year and we really wanted to go for it, but, you know, understanding that timing is everything. And I think if we waited another year, uh, I think we'd be too late. So I actually think the the timing was uh, perfect for us to really get our get our house in order, move to a digitally only digitally only project product, which was a huge thing that we weren't doing. We were doing in person advising, um, and spending you know the six nine months to really reevaluate, um, relaunch so to speak, and push forward with you know the new vision of of our company. 
No, and that definitely makes sense. And one of the other things you hit on as we chatted a bit before was, you know, you have the company, you launched it a couple of years ago and you had to, to pivot a bit with uh, COVID mm-hmm. as well, right? In the sense yeah. that that landscape changed. So how did, or how did you guys pivot and, you know, was that beneficial in the sense that sometimes a forced pivot is, hey, it's not what we want. It's not as, right. as uh, you know, lucrative or as, as worthwhile for the company, but we want to keep alive and keep it moving forward versus others. Sometimes when you're forced to pivot, even though you wouldn't have thought of it, it, it forces you to go in a new direction that can actually be beneficial or better than what you originally were doing. So kind of as you did that pivot, how, what did you do and how did it work out so far? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a bit of both as far as like the pivot you have to, and then actually was beneficial. Um, you know, when COVID hit in March, we'll say last year, I can't believe it's been, you know, 13 months of this actually, but, um, you know, all youth sports stopped high school, like tournaments canceled, nothing happened. And so, you know, the amount of money people, you know, parents were spending on their kids, you know, diminished entirely. Right. So, so the, the, the stoppage in events led to a stoppage in advising, which led to a stoppage really in our business um, from a, from a new, from a new client intake perspective. And so as we were a one-on-one advising in-person company here based in central Texas, and we served Dallas, Austin and Houston areas um, broadly, you know, we were, we were doing our advice sessions in person. We were one-on-one conversations with, with kids, which we still think is super valuable. Right. Mm. But because that one-on-one interaction is, is so uh, tangible and, and you can actually have, you know, face-to-face and read emotions and, and understand, you know, what, what the vibe in a room is as opposed to a digital meeting. But with the pivot we've made in the last, you know, year to a fully digital space, we now have the ability to advise, to advise and, and our market nationwide. So it completely opens up our, our pipeline for, additional kids that we can help, but it does take away a little bit from that one-on-one advising experience from that in-person standpoint. And, and with a lot of companies entering a space that are very tech fa- tech focused and like heavy on, like we'll give you X and you go do it. You know, we definitely want to be that personal touch company as far as, Hey, we're, we build a program for you, for your student athlete, for your parents. Uh, and understanding that vibe. But again, like being in a digital first environment makes it just a little more tricky. So we spent, you know, the extra time the last, you know, 12 months figuring out how to move our one-on-one advising into a digital space that is still effective to a rate that we're, that we think is acceptable. No, not definitely, you know, pivoting one sense you have to figure out a new way sometimes you know you figure out better ways and it helps do it and on the other hand you're all saying and I'm, i'd also like for life to go back as a bit as normal because we liked our yes. own model and it had a lot of good things to it as well so it sounds like kind of on both fronts it it is beneficial because it increased or expanded the model you guys are at mm-hmm. and it also as things hopefully open up you can also incorporate that with what you're previously doing yep. and have kind of both of those models so it definitely makes sense so well, as we kind of now are brought towards, uh, you know, the future of the current or where your uh, journey is up till today, I um, always have two questions kind of the end of the journey that I always like to ask. So we'll shift to those now. So yep. the first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? The worst business decision I've ever made is I didn't do my homework. And when I say homework in this, this context, I mean, I didn't go and ask customers what they wanted. I had an idea. I asked people that I trusted as far as like friends and like people that would like the product. 
and just put it out there. And I think for like a proof of concept that works, but in my younger, you know, more naive days, I was just like, oh, people around me like this, why don't we just put it out to the market and it'll be great. Mm -hmm. And not understanding the landscape, not understanding, you know, what the competitive, what competitive uh, depth was, and also not having something that was super differentiated from our competitors, you know, that didn't help, right? So, and this is like 2014. So like the, the e-commerce space isn't what it is now and those kind of ideas. Um, but I'll, I'll parlay that into the same situation happened where I had an idea and I wrote out a business plan and a case study and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't do my homework and I should have done it. And it wouldn't have been a, in a much better place today if we had done it in 2016 or whatever year it was, because mm-hmm. I actually had an idea that was ahead of the game and now is a very prominent ideal across the sports media industry. But because I didn't do my homework, we, we I didn't do anything with it. And so, you know, that on both fronts can is something that I wish I had done better with, which is, which I've definitely learned from now, as far as like with athletes to athletes specifically, like we talk to student athletes as much as we can. I, even if they're not even involved with our program, we like, Hey, here's what we do. What is the value? We talk to former college athletes and say, Hey, would this program be valuable? And I can tell you hundred percent certainty, every student athlete we've talked to that has gone through the recruiting process and has gone through college athletics, wishes they had something like we have now. And so it just, it, it, it reiterates the importance of front loading our, this information and this service to high schoolers to help them better prepare for a college athlete experience, which is completely different than a, just a regular student uh, college experience. No, I think that uh, definitely is, is one to, you know, as far as doing your homework is one where, you know, every, you always, I don't think anybody thinks that you shouldn't do your homework, but one is you, Oh, I know the market well enough, or, Oh, I know this well enough, or, Hey, this is definitely something I would use. And other people would obviously use it. And even if that's the case, now you have to figure out, okay, how big is the market? You know, is there 10 people that use this, including myself, or is there a million people that use and how much would they pay it for versus how much they would cost? And, you know, the thing is, everybody's like, well, you know, you do a business plan and, you know, you do that kind of thing. And it always, it always inevitably changes and you pivot and you adjust, which is always true, but you also need to, at the onset as you're figuring out what to do and how to approach and how to tackle it, you need to have, I think that structure such that while you're inevitably going to pivot, you have enough reason and you convince yourself, so to speak, that there's a reason to, there's a market here and there's an op- business opportunity. So I definitely think that makes sense both on getting excited and it's easy to make that, you know, mistake, but also one where it's a, a good one to learn from. Yeah. So- I did passable homework, not a plus homework. That's, that's really what it was, right? <laughs> yeah. So now we jump to the second question, which is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? The one piece of advice I would have and that I've really tried to do the past two, three years is surround yourself with people who are going to challenge what you're, what you're saying in in a positive way, but also that you can learn from because, you know, before I even moved to Austin, I didn't have a wide network of people that I could I could leverage from a connections, from a network, from a, from just an intelligence standpoint, nor did I have people who would challenge my ideals as, mm. and not, not in a bad way, just like, Hey, why do you think this? Um, or why do you think this product is important? And I think the last, you know, a couple of years, specifically, especially over COVID, I've tried really hard to bring in just a vast amount of people that I trust and, or that have backgrounds that I can learn from and just continually educate myself, but also, you know, can give me feedback. 
And, and one thing that I tell young entrepreneurs is like, don't be afraid to share your idea. There, there's a very, very low risk that anyone's going to be like, that's a good idea. I'm going to go do it now. Like that's, that's not the entrepreneurial space, right? They, other entrepreneurs are here to help you. And so, you know, share your idea. Like don't give them like the schematic, but like, here's what I'm trying to do. What do you think? Right. Or here's, here's my concept of how this might work in this marketplace. You work in this marketplace. What do you think? Right. And get feedback on your idea, get feedback on your business model, get feedback as much as you can from people that you trust and you will be much better suited for suited for it because I can look, I mean, just an example, I can look at a word document and read it 30 times and be like, cool, I'm ready to go. And then you get a new set of eyes and there's one thing you missed. And getting additional set of eyes on, on an idea or concept, especially if you're going you're gonna to tie your horse to it, is super important, super valuable. No, I, and I definitely agree with that. And I think it makes perfect sense. Well, as we wrap up, if people are wanting to reach out to you, they're wanting to find out more about your business and uh, they have a student athlete or, you know, they have a nephew or a niece or they are the athlete or any of the above. If they're an athlete, they're, they want to be a client, a customer, they want to be an investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out, contact you or find out more? 100%. So uh, the business website is athletes2athletes.com. It's T-O, uh, athletes2athletes.com. Um, my Instagram handle is J Olestead, uh, J U L L E S T A D, or you can email me directly at Justin at athletesathletes.com. Um, we are currently excited about our growth, excited about the future for what we're doing. Um, we have in plans for investment and additional staffing and additional resources, you know, in the next couple, couple years throughout the, throughout the next, you know, 18 to 24 months. And we're super excited to help, you know, additional student athletes, whether they be, you know, uh, freshman, sophomore, junior, even, even middle school at this point, um, you know, help them through their, through their recruiting journey and, and get them to a school that makes sense uh, for them and their needs. Hmm. No, I, I think that's a great way to reach out. Great way to find out more and uh, definitely appreciate uh, you, you putting it out there. Well, thank you again uh, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com. Apply to be on the show. Two more things as a listener. One, yeah, in uh, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. Two, leave us a review so new people can find out about our awesome episodes as well. Last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else, just go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time with us to chat. Thank you again, Justin, for coming on. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Appreciate it, Devin. Thank you so much.